Hi, everyone. I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Lee Kaplan, Director of the Obesity, Metabolism, and Nutrition Institute, and Founding Director of the Weight Center at Massachusetts General Hospital and Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Lee Kaplan recently joined us for a webinar to discuss the science behind bariatric surgery, why it's so effective, and the role of the gastrointestinal tract and gut microbiota in its mechanism of action. Let's jump right in. For the first question here, and we've received this question a few times in a couple different forms, but uh, why has the defended fat mass increased so rapidly within the last 40 years? Yeah, so the simple answer to that is that the environment has changed and the environment is acting on a susceptible genetics. Uh, we know that there are at least a thousand genes that are involved in this regulatory process. They haven't changed in the last 40 years, of course. So the epidemic is changes in the environment, but we don't know what those changes are. People in this field clinically like to blame things. So they blame the food supply, but, and they blame the cheapness of the food, the inexpensive nature of the food. And therefore they talk about calorie densities. What I've tried to show today is that the number of calories we choose to eat is probably irrelevant. What is, what may be very relevant though, is the chemical form of those calories and how they signal when they bind to nutrient receptors in the gut. But in addition, we have a much speeded up society. We have stresses is both greater and different in modern society. We know that there are labor saving devices that make it not necessary to do any kind of physical activity for many people and completely being sedentary changes the physiology of muscle cells such that they don't make certain myokines and that could contribute. Lack of sleep the 24-hour day and disruption of circadian rhythms. And then finally, that we use a lot of medications now that are obesogenic. So when you take those six different categories together, they are ubiquitous in modern society. And if you look across the world for what is common when any country or society develops obesity in a major way, it's modernization. In the United States, modernization is equally seen in rural areas and urban areas, and so is obesity. But in, ur- in rural areas, you perhaps have some less of some of the opportunities to eat a healthier diet. So maybe that's why in rural areas it's greater. But in China or India, obesity is much greater in urban areas because in urban areas you see that modernization. And now over the last 10 years, we're seeing the rural areas of China and India start to catch up in obesity to the urban areas, demonstrating that as there's modernization of the rural areas, you see the same thing. So it's modernization writ large, but it's all of the things I talked about. Excellent. Great answer. Another good question here is from Granit, who said, there's strong evidence that an individual zip code can predict your likelihood of developing cardiometabolic disease. Can you comment on whether bariatric surgery is appropriate for a disadvantaged population? And uh, is bariatric surgery affordable or widely available? So bariatric surgery, affordable is obviously different for different populations in different countries in different parts of this country, the United States. The, I, I think that I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, answer the question in, in a somewhat oblique way. What I've tried to show is that obesity and using bariatric surgery as a model, obesity is a disease that is caused by altered physiology in the person who has the disease. And it's caused by, it has a pathophysiological mechanism 
Obviously, the epidemic is influenced by the changes in the modern environment. But when you get it, you have it. And you can't make it go away by yourself without some kind of intervention. In some people, changing their diet will work. In others, they require something more intensive like drugs or surgery. But once you accept that what obesity is at the end is a disease, then we should treat it the way we treat other diseases. Most people don't need bariatric surgery. But if they do, we should try to get them access to it. So the issue of whether it's affordable is really an issue whether it's affordable by society, not whether it's affordable by the individual. And I think the answer is clearly yes. But bariatric surgery shouldn't be used in a majority of people. It's used currently in one quarter of 1% of people with obesity each year in the United States. The highest rate of bariatric surgery is in the Middle East, where it's used four times as two and a half times as much, which is about uh, 0.6% of the people with obesity get bariatric surgery per year. So maybe we need to do a little bit more, but we don't need to do more than 1%. But we probably do need to develop better drugs, and we probably do need to have more targeted tools to understand the physiology so that we can figure out which people are likely to improve when they get more sleep and which people are likely to improve when they eat a low-carb diet and which people are likely to improve when they eat a low-fat diet. And there's good genetic data to suggest that those groups of people are quite different from each other. And we don't know we don't know enough about the underlying physiology on a molecular level. And I think the kinds of studies that I've described will allow us to do that because they'll allow us to eventually figure out what are these programs, the program that sets the, the, the desired fat mass, the which clearly goes wrong in obesity, the program that defends it from above and the program that defends it from below. And all of these programs, understanding them, will allow us to substratify the, the different groups of people with obesity and do a better job of figuring out which people really need on a, on a molecular and biological basis, which therapies, including bariatric surgery. Excellent. So actually in the last webinar in the obesity series, Dr. Anya Yasterboff commented how in other common diseases, you know, HIV and cancer, a treatment rate that's, you know, 0.6% or something like that would be completely unacceptable. Can you comment a bit on why the treatment rate is so low for people with obesity, even when it's really severe? Yeah, because people don't believe what I've, what I've just told you all. I think the evidence is clear, but most of the early evidence has been around for 70 years. I mean, again, bariatric surgery has been around for 70 years, and some of the, the landmark studies that ultimately led to the discovery of leptin, but the landmark studies that, that characterized the physiology, even if they didn't do it on a molecular level, have been around for many decades. But because when you eat less, the initial response is to lose weight before the body creates a counter regulatory you know, response, Everybody assumes int intuitively that if you eat less, you're going to be able to lose weight. And, and the only reason people don't lose weight for a long period of time is that they don't continue to eat less. But that misses the point. This is a tightly regulated system. That's what I said at the beginning of my talk, that the body adds fat, removes fat, moves it around during the course of normal human development. So it is a very tightly regulated system, and the body will maintain that regulation despite the fact that it might, you might have too much fat, you might have obesity, or you might have too much visceral fat, and you might have a predisposition to, say, diabetes. Once you accept that this is a disruption of a normal regulatory pathway that is not controllable over the long term by voluntary action in the vast majority of people, 
or it's certainly not controllable in a major way. Average weight loss at four years after lifestyle intervention is 4% weight loss. That's the average in multiple large NIH-sponsored studies. Once you recognize that, then you need to realize that this is a disease that has to be treated. And the way we treat disease in, in Western culture is we use more medical therapy. So I agree with Dr. Yastrobov completely. The reason, though, that we don't view it is because we don't view it as a disease. We need to view it as a disease because it, it is a disease, because it is pathophysiologically based. Yeah, that's a really great answer. Another a question that we've gotten a few times is how, do, how does psychology play into weight gain post-surgery? So something like food addiction or something like POMC deficiency? Yeah, this is, well, POMC deficiency is very different from food addiction. So POMC deficiency, of course, is a break in this regulatory system. If you, if you have a genetic POMC deficiency, that's a break in the regulatory system. Now, a relative POMC deficiency that's not based on a genetic mutation in the POMC gene is the data on that are much more uh, ambiguous and controversial. So I'm going to put that aside. But from the point of view of food addiction or binge eating or bulimia, all kinds of other eating disorders. The vast majority of people with eating disorders have eating disorders as a, as a complication of obesity, not as a cause of obesity. And that's been inferred from the published data. But the, what the published data failed to show is a correlation between the development of an eating disorder and the later development of obesity. That's not been shown. So what does it have to do with, with this whole regulatory process? Well, clearly, food intake is a key part of the process. Again, I'm going to answer it a little bit obliquely. The regulatory system is like the heat and air conditioning system in a building, that you have a, a furnace, you have an air conditioning system. You can think of all the ways the temperature could be wrong. You could have a broken window in your house in winter and the house is too cold or in the summer it's too hot. You could have a failure of the delivery of oil to your house and it gets too cold. What have you? You've got all kinds of things that could go wrong. But when you play only with the boiler, if all you do is study the boiler and all you do is focus on the boiler to the exclusion of the air conditioning system or what the house looks like, what you're going to do is you're going to solve a small minority of the problems that could be found in the heating and in the temperature of your house. The major place where the temperature of your house is going to be misregulated is going to be in the thermostat. It's the, the thing that regulates the boiler and regulates the air conditioner. And what we know from genetics of obesity is that of the thousand genes that I keep referring to that are involved in the regulation of body fat mass, obesity, 80% of them are only expressed in the brain, the hypothalamus, the hindbrain, and including the emotional centers of the brain, the amygdala, the, the uh, hippocampus and the like, the limbic system. They're all involved as the thermostat or the so-called lipostat for body fat mass. So to the degree that these eating disorders disrupt that or reflect that disrupted uh, limbic system, then they could play a role, but they're only going to play a role in a limited number of types of obesity. And we have to remember, though, obesity is not only a disease, it also has important social implications. And when you have obesity, one of the major complications is psychological, and that leads to enormous stress. And we've already said that stress is also a cause of obesity one of the environmental causes. So you can create a vicious cycle, though the obesity might have been precipitated by something else. 
the effects on social functioning, the effects on, on, on psychological functioning and stress can then exacerbate it. So I don't think that those things are primary causes, but they're important complications of obesity that can exacerbate. Excellent. Great answer and uh, great analogy as well with the boiler. Uh, and I think in the interest of time, we'll just have one more question here, which comes in from Mark, who's asked whether the applicability and effectiveness of surgery can vary with an individual's age. Well, so the answer is it works well in all ages. It works well in, in teenagers. Even There are even some patients who are so severely affected that they've been they've undergone surgery below before teenage years, and it, and it works well into old age. What I didn't have time to talk about, though, is that there's just as much variability from patient to patient, independent of age, from patient to patient with bariatric surgery as there is with every other kind of intervention. So if you look at the distribution of outcomes from a drug, any drug, from bariatric surgery, any operation, from exercise, from different diets, from comprehensive lifestyle interventions, they all look the same in that there's, there are close to normal distribution and the standard deviation is 10 to 12% uh, of total weight loss. So that bariatric surgery on average is 30% or 32% total weight loss at one year, but it's a 10 to 12% standard deviation. Drugs might be 5% average weight loss at one year, but there's a 10 to 12% standard deviation. So the difference is in all of these interventions from patient to patient or person to person is reflective of the biology. And I didn't have time to talk about it, but we and others have demonstrated and have identified uh, genetic loci using both genome-wide association studies and uh, polygenic uh, scoring. Uh, We've identified loci and therefore genes within the uh, genome that determine how well somebody does. That turns out to be the number one cause of variation not age or other clinical phenotypes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.